0: The South, the American South has been called the second homeland of millions of blacks who migrated to the North in the early 20th century, with Africa being the original homeland of enslaved Africans who were brought to the South as forced migrants. Just saying the South invokes more than a region. It is also a state of mind, a region in which sang Billy Holiday, its southern trees bear a strange fruit. Blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black bodies swinging in a southern breeze. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Arguably, it is the region where so-called black trauma began. How has it changed since the 1960s, with blacks shedding their caste status and becoming fuller participants in the American scheme of things? Adolf Reed, the author of The South, Jim Crow and his Afterlives, offers his views on this land. This is from Black Power to Black Trauma. I'm Norman Kelly. Adolf Reed is Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Pennsylvania, specializing in US politics with special focus on the intersection of race and class in American politics. His most recent book, The South, Jim Crow and His Afterlives, examines how the region has and hasn't changed since the nineteen sixties. A son of the South, he was born in the Bronx but raised in New Orleans. Since he's from the land of Gumbo, I had to ask a specific question. Was his family considered Creole due to the fact that he is of Cuban heritage?
1: I'll put it to you like this. Um, my family, by and large, uh, has, does not consider themselves Creole. Okay. Uh, the world that, that, that we moved in since before my time and since is uh, basically that Catholic Creole middle-class social world. Mm-hmm. So I've sometimes joked that uh, among the many ways that there is to be a Creole, well, one of them is to be the I'm not a Creole Creole.
0: After clearing that up, my next question was, was the Jim Crow South a totalitarian system as opposed to merely being segregated?
1: No, but Jim Crow wasn't ad- administered as tightly as you would tend to think of with uh, the with totalitarian system. I mean, uh, I might have mentioned this in the book, but like, you know, unlike the apartheid regime in South Africa, or at least you know, unlike my understanding of the apartheid uh, regime in, in, in South Africa, um, you know, the rules varied you know, on a quotidian level from, from place to place. Um, so like, even the way, for instance, that segregation and public transit was enforced, differed greatly from city to city, I mean more to the level of, of, of adequate than law. Uh, and uh, that just seemed to me to increase the terroristic element of the system because you know, of course black people were always uh, assumed to know what the rules. Are. and if you broke a rule, it, it couldn't be because of an accident because you didn't know right It, it could be because, it could only be because you were up and needed to be put in place. So, so, I don't think i characterize it as totalitarian. I wouldn't argue against somebody who wanted to characterize it as that either.
0: Reed wrote quote, Unquestioned power and deference persist in the region, but their connection to race is no longer straightforward or easily predictable. The tendency to mistake superficially familiar imagery for actual continuity threatens to obscure how the present differs. Most meaningfully from the past unquote, could you give
1: a, one or two examples of that? Oh sure uh, let me think uh, well i mean one I mean, one thing that I mentioned uh, is that like when I'm someplace now <clears throat> in um, all, all white uh, um, upscale neighborhoods right um, i i I can feel eyes on me, you know what i mean um, um uh, uh, in fact, when I when I moved to Chicago suburbs in '91, and I was looking at houses, um, I realized that one of my criteria was I didn't want to live someplace where the neighbors would call the police on me to protect my my property values. Right. So, uh, but and this is especially meaningful when I'm in New Orleans because a lot of those areas are areas that that were historically segregated. Um, and and I never learned my way around them um, I still have that same feeling and and, and and concern that I need to get the hell out of there before somebody calls the police on them but at this point there are as likely as not to be some black people living in those areas uh, and that um, race it's a little clearer that race does the shorthand work uh, for identifying class difference, now that it actually did, did then too. Um, so so what you see is, and then there are a lot of other instances. I mean, just little, what seem like little rituals of deference and subordination uh, that that strike me as being like they were 60 years ago, are, they aren't quite the same then, right, Robert? There's a difference, they're not quite racial. And, and they don't even necessarily mean deference, right? Um, they can, but you're just as likely, a middle-class black person is just as likely to get the deference that an upper-status white person would, would get today and, we'll, we'll, and it would have gotten 60 years ago.
0: So has race shifted into the background as a metaphor?
1: Well, see, that's an interesting question. Um, because... Race appears to be just as central in the South now as it was 60 years ago, right? Right, like in a lot of ways. I mean, you think about politics, for instance. Race is just as much uh, the central fault line in politics in places like South Carolina and Louisiana and elsewhere now as as it was then, with some important differences. For instance, black people can vote, so when David Duke ran for uh, governor and to US Senate in Louisiana in 1991 and 1990, uh, in the Senate race, I think he got a majority of the white vote, right? Uh, but the good news was that after 1965, uh, a majority of the white vote wasn't enough to win with, right? Um, but, but race was always, right? Um, A shorthand, right? Uh, And and it functions as a shorthand now, but in different ways. Crime stuff, uh, other stuff, you know, know, stuff like that. And and strikes me that um, that a lot of people um, prefer to talk about race than to talk about economic injustice, right? And even will strain the use of, of race as a metaphor to keep from talking about economic injustice on its own terms.
0: Although it's counterintuitive, Americans are much more comfortable talking about race than class. Because when you talk about race, it seems to be apparent. He's black, she's Asian, blah, blah, blah. But class, you really have to think
1: about it. Yeah, I think that's a good point, too. And I mean, it's kind of funny, right, right along that line. I mean, you know, the reaction that you get from people, the I find kind of interesting, because it makes me think right away of, you know, going back to Bill Clinton and and now, you know, through Joanne Reed and that whole crew, when people are always talking about, we need to have a conversation about race. And I, I think, well, well, that's all you people want to talk about, right? So what's there to say? You can't talk about any damn thing else, right? and and it's kind of like um how you you get a bunch of spike lee fan black people around it's only a matter of time uh before you hear somebody saying well we need to talk about the things nobody wants to talk about which is what's now called colorism among black people and i thought well well, why did we not talk about that right and and how is that not the only thing you want to talk about and 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 especially because there's no real policy warrant, right, if you don't want to, frankly, right, I mean, for race, you can say, okay, firm anti-discrimination, and then maybe affirmative action or maybe something else on, on, on top of that, that's unsatisfied or whatever. But the conversation about racism just is, is something that can go on endlessly and never produces anything because it's not in the nature of the topic to produce anything, and the... And I think the colorism thing is like another version of the same thing. I mean, we can talk about it, but but where does it get you?
0: Reed himself has experienced how the preferred discourse about race over class or other categories can be sandbagged by others, preventing good faith discussions.
1: Um, I wasn't exactly disinvited, uh, but I was substantively uh, disinvited. And And the people who've objected to that characterization I think are disingenuous. See, see, here's what happened. A friend of mine uh, from Philly, who had moved to New York and had gotten active with, with, with the New York DSA chapter. And in fact, in both 2016, I think, and 2020, she was the person who did all the coordinating for DSA buses that that, that sent people out primary to primary states to canvass or Sanders. right? And um, after... I had published a piece in Common Dreams, fairly early in the pandemic, sounding the alarm about you know, the easy way that people are sliding into a racial disparity narrative about it and all the potential for mischief that was there. Um, um, Carissa came up with the idea of uh, having a DSA uh, Zoom meeting, right, uh, panel, what, what, what meeting? That was co sponsored by the Philly DSA and the New York DSA, with me and my colleague Merlin Chaquan, with whom I co authored a similar piece in in the New England Journal of Medicine. And the point was that we were going to talk about uh, racial medicine and the pandemic and the mischief that can be associated with racial medicine, basically. So things were going along, and about a week before the event, some guy uh, took down the announcements of the event from the from the New York DSA chapters message board. it. Fine. Fine. Whatever. Um, like more than a couple hundred people had, had signed up for it. But then, uh, it was a Sunday afternoon of the schedule for it. And Sunday, like, late morning, we found out, Merlin and I found out, that the self constituted group calling itself BIPOC and um, afro-socialists and socialists of color caucus demanded that the event be now now i can't recall whether they ever said canceled, but they demanded definitely that it be re- reformulated as a debate between my and this is how they characterize it my class reductionist views and their afro-socialist views so like this was about two hours before the thing was supposed to happen. And and it was early enough in uh, in uh, in the universe of Zoom that it wasn't clear whether effective precautions could be taken to keep them from blowing the thing up somehow. Mm. So uh, Merlin and I talked talk to the sponsors who were prepared to go along with it, but we determined, well, fuck it, right? There's no point in our doing this, right? I and mean, it's not worth it. So mm-hmm. technically, it, it wasn't canceled, but, uh, but uh, we canceled it, but we canceled it because they, you know, they wanted to change, change the nature of the event at the last minute. And, and, and I noticed, I don't spend a lot of time in the left warrens on, on the internet, but, but, but I noticed that one of the lines coming from that element was, well, um, so why would you want to have an open debate with, with these people? And uh, that's what happened.
0: That episode is a good encapsulation of the state of the American left.
1: And look, it's only gotten worse worse since then. I mean, just think of how they all line up on the war in Ukraine at this point, right? I, I mean, <laughs> this just blows me away and a lot of my friends. So, so uh, where'd this come from?
0: Returning to the subject of the book, Reed relates how a middle-class contemporary of his wounded up going to jail for doing a joyride while he himself got a good talking to for stealing, escaping the worst that could happen to a Negro child back then. The capricious nature of the South underscore how almost any white person had power over any black person. Well, yeah,
1: well, the well, so one difference was that his encounter was with the police. Right, because what happened was, like, he he was with some friends, and they stole a the car, and 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 the joyride, and uh, and and that's how he wound up in Angola. Now I could have wound up in gold if, if uh, well, well, well actually as young as I was, I was too young to go but wound up mm-hmm. uh, If if the people who own this little bodega were a different sort of people, right? So but, um, I mean that's. So, so, so that's one way that you can, or, or, well, that's one instance where the capriciousness and the arbitrariness meet for a happy ending, right? I mean, it could have gone the other way around. So, mm-hmm. and I mean, that's part of it too, right? Like any, um, any white person potentially had, had the power um, to ruin your life or to take it you. Right. I mean, a friend of mine who was who, who, working on a um, gold case project in, in Orleans Parish now was just telling me about um, a woman, um, um, I think it was a woman, uh, who, well, yeah, I'm conflating stories, but about somebody who was getting on a bus across the river and who either jostled a white person or, or had an altercation with a white person uh, or all oh, Uh, And it was even worse than that. There's a guy who was getting on a bus across the river in Algiers. A white woman got on ahead of him and didn't have the money. And this was in the early 40s. So the black guy offered to give her the nickel. And the bus driver took umbrage at this black man offering to pay the white woman's bus fare. Jacked him up, called the cop, cop cop winds up killing him. So, uh, so I mean, stuff like that happened, uh, um, I mean, another uh, incident. I don't think I mentioned this, this in the book. But there was a um, there was a case when I was in high school uh, of a young white white woman who was supposedly attacked by um, a light-skinned black man in uh, City Park and raped. Right. And, you know, the cops did, did what the cops do, right? I mean, just think of Boston and Charles Stewart, right? mean, they were running through black neighborhoods and housing projects and jacking people up like, like crazy. Uh, and to her credit, right? and and I know a lot of people think it's weird for me to credit her with this. But I mean, to her credit, like she let it go on and she was young, you know, like 18 or something. Now, um, she let it go on for two or three days, and then her conscience just just got the better of her, and she acknowledged that um, she had a boyfriend who was a sailor, who stood her up. She, she was supposed to meet him in City Park, and he stood her up, and she concocted this story to get back at him, right? But mm. but there's no telling how many people got jacked up and beat down or whatever, right? Right. And, and in that context. And, and, you know, I mean, people want purity in the world, but like, not like in that context, um, you know, especially as a young black man, I, you know, I was happy to see that she had enough decency that she just couldn't stand it anymore because it's not like, yeah, you know, I don't imagine that it was like she set out to frame a black man, right? Right. Just like uh, Susan Smith, the white going to South Carolina who drowned her kids, right? And, and see, this is, this is something else that people don't 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 understand about what would it means to say race functions as a shorthand, right? I mean, if you if 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 you've done something that, that you can get in really serious trouble about, and want to try to save yourself, then 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 one way to do it is to cast cast the uh, culpability onto a, a generally recognized uh, scapegoat right uh, and and yeah I, I mean it doesn't work out w- well for us right but it's also if, if, but I think it's important for us to understand that that's part of what's going on there which 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 means among other things and like I know this would uh, you know give the trauma people like uh, um, you know, suddenly, well the trauma people will hear me saying this like like an epileptic Will see a strobe light. But race is not the only issue in the world, right? Um, and it's possible for people to be a racist today and not a racist tomorrow, to say what well, racist stuff today and, 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 and mean it and not mean it the next day, and, right, right? I think about that a lot like in the open housing fights, right? right? I'm sure people said, said a lot of stuff, thought a lot of stuff, that they, you know, not everybody, right? But obviously some people thought and said a lot of stuff that they never would have pr- prior to feeling themselves cornered in that way. And that's not a defense either, right?
0: Given the ebb and flow of racial relationships, I wonder if things were a bit more relaxed for African-Americans than back in the day.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah I have a question. Man. Like, it doesn't, uh, uh, I mean... The only people who feel, uh, you know, something at all like that old, old tension are old, old people like me, right? I mean, there's other tensions, right? Um, but they have less, and, and people may e- express them sometimes through a racial metaphor, like you know, with the police and stuff. Um, but, but. But, but, but it's different right? in that, look, um, say I mentioned earlier, right, I mean, like the neighborhoods I was afraid to go in when I was a youngster. Well, if I walk in one of those neighborhoods now um, and somebody calls the police to, to, to protect their property values, it's, as least, it's at least as likely or not, as, as, as not, that the cop who shows up is gonna be black. Right, so that's the difference.
0: Even though racist acts still occur against blacks in the South, there is a difference in the endpoint.
1: point. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you remember, this was probably 10, 15 years ago, maybe, uh, years it all run together now. But when, the, well, when these idiot white white boys shot you know, shot and killed his brother who was staying at a motel in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, when he got gone outside to smoke a cigarette and go by and shot him and killed him. What comes from the um, um, in the anti racist mouthpieces, right? Is um, well, see, it's it's as if nothing has changed except for the fact that the cop who came and arrested was black and and the DA was black. So except for that, right? Well it's just some pretty, well, it's a pretty big deal, right? Right, so all that stuff means something, right? Um, and so, I mean the difference is like no, I mean, we, we literally had no recourse. I mean, and, and that's a hell of a feeling, right? Um, but that was the point, or, or on, on one layer, that was the point of the regime.
0: The idea of black leadership began with the rise of Booker T. Washington in the South in 1895. But is there such a thing as black leadership in a post-civil rights era?
1: So Mac, bye in the summer of 2008, wrote a generally, really insipid article in the New York Times magazine, called something like, Is Obama the End of Black Politics? Right. And I, I figured you'd recall it, but, like he got almost everything wrong, basically, or shallow, right? Um, like, in including his claim that the generation of black political uh, leaders before Obama, had, had come out of the church, which is natural uh, but, but they're much more likely to come out of the model Cities program war and bother by the church but, but, um, but the one kernel that that makes that article worth worth reading and, and, and uh, for me made it worth assigning for many years is that he said that where earlier generations of black political leadership, Saw themselves as envoys from the black, and he doesn't say to whom, but presumably it's you know, from the black community to the political system. Um, Obama's cohort see, see themselves as envoys as, um, to the black community, which is like saying like, like they're, they're coming from the bourgeois or from the democratic elites and from the ruling class in Wall Street to tell you what your limits are, basically. But now, he doesn't follow up on that. So, um, 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 but but, but it's interesting that even he could see.
0: Or put it another way, today's black leadership is more integrated into the political system than black voters themselves, particularly those living at the bottom of the social
1: well. Cory Booker, right? When, When a Booker ran against Sharp James the first time, Right? I mean, James is the black candidate. And Booker was the you know, uh, charter school candidate. And it's not just a generational shift, right? It, um, but keep in mind, uh, uh, or I'd say what I want to say for the listeners, that the older figures in the black um, political class uh, have accommodated completely, right? Uh, right? Uh, but, I mean, go back, uh, go back to 2016 and um, Icon of the Civil Rights Movement, John Lewis, and uh, you know, Jim, Jim Clyburn, who keeps trying to present himself as Icon of the Civil Rights Movement, uh, both went on a vicious attack on Bernie Sanders for having a, a advocated pre-public higher education and single-payer health care. And one of them, uh, what well, I think it was John, said, you know, that's irresponsible for Tell people that 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 stuff should be free. So I mean I don't know how you square that. Well I
0: given this dismal state of affairs in regard to black leadership, one wonders why today's critical or oppositional black intellectuals have not created more think tanks to address such issues.
1: Oh, well, that's an interesting question too. Well, the Congressional Black Caucus has something, right? Uh, I
0: think there's something called the Joint Center for Political Economic Studies, but it's almost a
1: non-entity. Right. Yeah, well, it's been around for a long time. And, and, and it's interesting because they used to do more, more stuff than they've done in the last 20 years. The first thing, I guess, is that to have a think tank, you, 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 you'd have to have a policy agenda that you're concerned with. And I don't think they have one, right? Uh, just more and more appointments. Um, and uh, um, so. But uh, that's an interesting question.
0: If the Black working class can't depend on Black leadership or Black intellectuals, why can't they organize themselves?
1: Mainly because they don't have the capacity. OK. And I mean, if people are, like, stretched to the limit, right, Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, see, this is where, uh, among the many ways that the new left, the acoupam, the acoupam, the maxima Krupa, went went astray, was uh, you know letting liberals convince them that Lenin was a dirty word, right? Uh, because uh, because you need organization, and 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 need cadre level kind of organizers. Who's, Whose primary focus in the life is, is is to make this stuff congeal, rather than make it work. Um, best place to do it is in trade unions, right? Um, and that's one of the things that we were always about, which is trying to connect, especially with the intermediate level of trade union leadership. Uh, and and in fact, that's that's part of the audience that we're really trying to cultivate with this podcast too. In case
0: you missed it, Reed is affiliated with Class Matters, a podcast that's delivering the word about how class and how people in the working class can come together and move
1: forward. I
0: want to thank my guest, Adolph Reed. This has been From Black Power to Black Trauma. I'm Norman Kelly. Thank you for listening.